Welcome to the Fitness and Beer Podcast. This is the place where we'll look to maximize both our health and fun at the same time. We'll attempt to discover where the line in our lives between fitness and vice should be, or if in fact they intersect. We'll discuss what it is to be happy, healthy, human, and imperfect. With all further ado, come aboard. Hey, welcome to the Fitness and Beer Podcast. I'm Larry Powell. Welcome to the inaugural Fitness and Beer Podcast. And before we get started, I'm going to tell you a little bit about fitness and beer because they're two seemingly contradictory concepts. But I also believe that's part of being human and who we are. And so sometimes doing the things that aren't so-called good for us are, I believe they're good for us in other ways. They, they give us peace of mind. They keep us happy. They provide excitement. And so in a way, I believe they contribute to our fitness. But, you know, let's be real. Like a beer's not good for you. Gambling's not good for you. On the flip side, I'm also a person that values fitness. I, I believe that consists of three categories. I believe that's being, well, physically fit is part of it, being mentally fit. And then the last component of that, I believe, is being financially fit. So on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of those things and how they contribute to just your regular everyday life. And uh, before I go any deeper into that, I can't waste any more time on that today because we have a super exciting guest on the podcast. And I think it's way more important to get to what she has to say. And that is, um, well, hold up. Let me do it this way. This woman has a bachelor's of science from, or a bachelor's of science in biology from the University of Illinois. She graduated from the University of Illinois in Chicago College of Medicine with a medical degree. She was an anesthesia resident at the Mizzou Department of Anesthesiology and Perioperative Medicine, excuse me if I butchered that, where she actually became the chief resident. She also went on to become a member of the faculty at Mizzou where she taught medical students and residents during her time there. She moved on to do some private practice in Northern Virginia and currently practices in Florida. Welcome to the Fitness and Beer Podcast, Dr. Nikesh Grant. How are you doing today? Oh, wow. Thanks for the introduction, Larry. I am very excited to be your inaugural guest, so it's an honor. <laughs> So uh, I guess I shouldn't go too much further into the podcast, but also without mentioning that you are actually also my sister-in-law. And so that's why you do me the honor of being here. And so I, you know, really appreciate having such a distinguished guest on the show. Um, you know, right away, I got to kind of jump into it. And recently you made a video, uh, a video that's been impactful. It's had a lot of views and it's been shared like, um, it's been viewed multiple thousands of times over again. And that video was about the safety of wearing a mask. And one of the things that you claim within the video is there's a lot of misinformation going out there. And so my initial question is going to be twofold. And that is what specifically motivated you to make the video and what misinformation is out there that specifically that you were responding to? So specifically, I have been seeing a lot of things online on social media about the dangers of wearing a face mask, how it causes you to 
not get enough oxygen. It causes you to retain CO2. Um, all these kind of things. It can reactivate dormant viruses within your body. And I just kind of would see them and be like, wow, people really think that and, and pass through. But then on my personal social media, I was seeing family and friends sharing this misinformation. And it really kind of alarmed me. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't have my friends or my family thinking it's dangerous to wear a mask. Let me make sure that they're educated so that they can protect themselves. So that really was the nidus that kind of sparked that passion for me to create that video. Okay, and so to be specific, like, I mean, even on a very, very low percentage, are, are there any dangers or like health risks that could be incurred as a result of wearing a mask or is it just all completely false or is it so minuscule? Um, it's kind of like walking around the world and being worried that you're going to get struck by lightning. Like, it's, it's not really reasonable. So let me just give you a basis so as an anesthesiologist okay since before this whole big pandemic with coronavirus and wearing a face mask you have to think about there's an entire workforce of doctors surgeons nurses surgical techs that have been working in the operating room wearing a mask for years and years and years and years i myself have been in practice for over 12 years. And that's part of my daily routine. I get up, I go to work, I put on a mask when I go in the operating room, I talk to people, I'm walking around, and it's not anything that any of us have ever really thought about. It's just part of the job. Um, so I guess I'll answer that question in two ways. One is the risk of wearing a mask is extremely minuscule, okay? Um, and two is for the large majority of the population, there's no reason why you cannot wear a mask, okay? Um, what I think that most people are feeling when they put on a mask is the simple fact that when people think about breathing, it's automatic, right? We're not really thinking about how we breathe. We think that the air just somehow passively finds its way into our lungs but it really doesn't with every breath essentially it's like we're sucking through a, thr a straw we're sucking in air and so when you put a barrier over your mouth now you're going to have some resistance you know so it feels unnatural it feels uncomfortable the humidity when you're breathing back makes you feel hot some people may even sometimes get a little bit of skin reaction but that is not most people um but even still skin reaction versus contracting the coronavirus is a small <laughs> price to pay to be considerate of your fellow Americans and also to provide a little bit of protection for yourself. Why do you think, because wearing a mask, which is really a, a, a public health concern, right? And it's, in a way, it's turned into a political statement. Not in a way, it is a political statement. Absolutely. And so when, when people are, whether or not they choose to, uh, in certain instances, it's being perceived as saying something else. What? I'm not going to get into that right now. But what I am going to ask is, why do you think it's become that? Why is it so political? Why is it so po polarizing when theoretically it could keep us healthy? 
So I think the answer to that again is multifactorial. Uh, when you think about when the initial stages of information and stuff about the coronavirus was first coming out back in um, March and in February, there were so many inconsistencies with how the virus behaved. Um, was it serious? Was it just affecting old people? At that time, um, people were freaking out. They were buying up all the masks. So there was literally a critical PPE shortage for the frontline healthcare workers that really needed masks to try to protect themselves. So now we've gone the total opposite. <laughs> um, and I think that is because um, people across the country have experienced surges of the virus at different times. So over the last, four to five months, we saw a lot of COVID in New York and in, you know, California, but by and large, majority of the country hadn't really seen a surge. They personally weren't sick. They didn't know anyone that was sick. So they started to question if the virus was real or not. Um, and I can say that it had, that it is real. You know, I've taken care of COVID patients. Um, so I'm, I'm going to stop you right there and uh, just to jump in, because I, I know that you're an anesthesiologist and uh, not that I understand the specifics of anesthesia. I, I think I get the gist of it. So I'm, I'm going to take a shot at it, if that's OK with you. So uh, basically, you administer anesthesia. I don't know if I can compare that to medicine, but that is basically uh, what will alleviate your pain, slow down your heart rate or whatever it is, whatever needs to be done to prep your body for surgery. Is that clear? or is that a correct and that is medicine so perioperative medicine so we are managing all of your medical conditions in addition to the physio physiologic changes that go on with surgery okay so if you have diabetes you have hypertension you know we're managing those things in the perioperative sense before so surgery during surgery and in the immediate period after surgery. And there's a lot of critical care that goes into that, managing IV fluids and drips and ventilator, um, and so on and so forth, yeah. And so in, in, in your practice, um, who are you seeing and uh, COVID, because you seem to have some experience with it, how relevant it, first, who is it that you're seeing in your daily practice what is the specifics of what you do? How does COVID impact that? So here in Florida, we are now starting to see a surge, but majority of that surge, at least up to today, has been in Southern Florida. Um, I practice in the Northern uh, Florida area, and just maybe two days ago, we have been declared as a hotspot. Um, our ICUs have not yet been overwhelmed with COVID patients like it has been in New York, um, but we do have some. Um, primarily the COVID patients that I see are adults. Um, I have not personally taken care of any children or adolescents with COVID. Um, one thing that was surprising to me was a lot of the seemingly younger people with COVID that we've had to do uh, tracheostomies on. Uh, ages as young as 36, 42, um, with no previous medical condition that have this pneumonia, viral pneumonia, and have been unable to be weaned from the ventilator for up to three weeks. 
So I and okay, this is this is really interesting here because um, one of the things that's happened here is the mainstream media and their message. It's really never really wavered. Uh, but due to political things, I know I, I, I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia. You're currently in uh, you're in Florida, Northern Florida. Florida. And um, I know the initial thing was, you know, everybody social distance, go to the bunkers, you can go outside, you can go for a walk, but for the most part, you know, stay separated. And then pretty quickly when this state opened, when Georgia reopened or the governor announced, um, I, I noticed a different narrative starting to go around. And I think you touched on this a little bit earlier, but it's people begin to question whether or not the virus is real. And that even if they've accepted that the virus is real, I am seeing a lot of people like, we should be able to live our lives. We should be able to, to move forward because, hey, the virus is here. And kind of the approach where uh, it's the same way that we approach the flu or a common cold or a host of pink eye or a host of other ailments that we kind of move through our lives with and it happens. And the media to me is indicating something different. That's been a consistent message all along. So where's the disconnect? So I feel like the disconnect is one, we've never really had to deal with a pandemic before, okay? In my entire life, we've never had to be quarantined or on lockdown. So I think that people are starting to become a little bit fatigued about dealing with the stresses of COVID, being at home, not being able to go to work, not being able to get back to their normal routines after months and months and months. Secondly, I feel like with COVID, it's so unique in what we've seen because it seems like there's such a wide spectrum of severity. I mean, you have a population of people that technically can have coronavirus and be completely asymptomatic. And then you have the other spectrum where people are getting sick and dying within two weeks. So the spectrum kind of makes it a little bit difficult to know exactly what's the right thing to do. Because by and large, if 90% of the population were asymptomatic, and maybe there was a small percentage that were getting sick or dying, maybe you could say, okay, let's go back to our normal lives. But it's so varied. It's not just affecting the elderly, everyone is really at risk. Now, of course, elderly are, and people with pre-existing conditions are more at risk to get severe disease. But as I said before, even young people that have been healthy have been getting severe illness. Some have died and some have just been in the ICU for weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm. And so getting back to kind of, to bring this conversation around full circle, does wearing the mask, because we don't know much, right? The one thing that we know is that we don't know much and that the story is forever evolving. And just from your experiences and from your opinion, speaking as a person, you, you don't even have to like put your credentials behind you, um, but does wearing a mask help with the spread of COVID? So the typical mask that the general population is wearing is going to help to decrease the amount of COVID that is within the air. 
And why yeah, is that? It is. Be, well, when you think about general hygiene of people, for how many years have we been talking about washing hands and hygiene? Forever, since before COVID, and people still can't wash their hands. So when you cough and sneeze, how many people do you see that know to cough and sneeze like this? Some of them think they're being considered by doing this, and then they go and touch the shopping cart or doorknob, and they're still spreading their germs around. So in that regard, yeah, so in that regard, wearing a mask is going to catch some of the virus that you're breathing out into the air and also kind of diminish droplets and aerosols from people that are coughing and sneezing. Now, is it 100%? Absolutely not. Um, and that's because most people are not having a tightly sealed mask. So it's providing some protection, um, which is going to, I guess a good way for me to describe it is think about you're walking into a room, okay, where everyone is wearing a mask. Let's say there's 10 people in that room and one person is an asymptomatic COVID carrier, okay? If everyone is wearing a mask, there may be 10 coronavirus floating around that room, okay? Now let's say those same 10 people are in the room None of them are wearing a mask. The person that does not have, I'm sorry, that does have coronavirus is not wearing a mask. Now they're freely breathing all their coronaviruses into the air. So you're gonna have more virus particles now in the air. So therefore you're more likely to contract it. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah so if you are wearing a mask, even if it's not tightly sealed, okay, so majority of the virus is gonna be filtered out through your mask but where you're not covered is on the sides or up the top because that is not tightly adhered to your mask so it's still going to reduce the amount of virus that you're inhaling but it's not going to completely eliminate the risk of contracting coronavirus okay so the understanding that i i myself have begun to develop develop about the mask is it's not so much about what you, you're taking in, it's more about what you're putting out, which is what I yes. think. Yes. But it's protective on both sides? It is protective on both sides, but as I said, it's, it's more about breathing out rather than in because since it's not totally sealed, people will have a false sense that they can't contract coronavirus because they weren't masked. And you can, it just, reduces a little bit and it depends on what you're wearing if you're wearing a surgical mask versus if you're wearing just a nylon mask or if you're wearing a cloth mask that also has a filter so everyone is wearing different variations of face masks which depending on what you wear is going to provide more or less filtration of the coronavirus mm, okay and so what do you suggest if like if for the layman like the person that's walking out in the world that's got to leave the, uh, you know, maybe even has to go to work, but, you know, they get to go into an office building, don't have to touch a lot of work, but they got to go through the world or go to the grocery store or do whatever For it is. The average, what do you suggest? Yeah. No, what kind For of mask do you suggest? Person, for the average person, um, a, a paper surgical mask or a tightly woven 
cloth mask should be adequate as long as you are socially distancing and making sure you maintain your hand hygiene, that should be adequate. Now, if you're a healthcare worker, you're gonna need something more. But for the average person, that socially distancing, um, tightly woven cloth mask or a surgical mask should be adequate. Okay, okay. Because my understanding of it is in the sense, you know, and I've seen all of these just, I mean, and we've all have seen it. I, I think that the advent of social media like social media is both a good and a bad thing, right? Um, it's it's a good thing because in, in a way, it, it can make us all connected, at least in theory, because you can reach out to somebody that you went to third grade with, right? And right. so in that sense, it's pretty awesome. But at the same time, it gives us all uh, uh, an opportunity to, to reach out to 500, 1,000, 2,000, or maybe even hundreds of thousands of people with our keyboard. And when we do that, um, you know what I mean? There's so many articles and blogs and information. And so because it's written on the internet and it looks official, doesn't necessarily mean that it's credible. And I, I say all of this because, you know, I, I see the, I, I've read that trying to stop the coronavirus with a mask is like trying to stop a mosquito with a chain link fence. That's one of them. Um, I read, uh, uh, another one where it's somebody peeing and it's like if they're not wearing any pants then if you're just wearing pants and they pee you still get wet and then if they're wearing pants and you're wearing pants and they pee like it, it's they're just their pee is on them and I that's the one I believe is probably the, the closest to reality but uh, I'm, I'm actually getting to a question here um, but here's my my thing yeah, okay, you read that somewhere and you shared it. And now it went on, you shared it with hundreds of people and maybe they take it and they share it. But it's like, I can't tell you, I haven't looked under a damn microscope since I was in like fourth grade. You know what I mean? And so it's like, I am just taking information that I heard somewhere else. And it makes sense in my mind based on my system of beliefs. And I just pass it along. I, I think that that is a major contributor to what we have going on here. And thus your response to it was awesome. And all of that to say, what do you think about how we communicate on social media? So I think that social media, like you said before, is excellent tool to connect us. It's an excellent tool to spread information. And on the contrary, it can also be used to exponentially spread misinformation. Um, and so we just have to continue to put out honest, fact-based <laughs> fact information to counteract all of the misinformation that is going on. And it's unfortunate um, that that stuff exists and lives on online but that's just the nature of the time that we live in. So the mosquito and chain link fence analogy, any truth to it? So yes and no. So again, it depends on uh, what it is that you're wearing. Um, for healthcare professionals, when we are wearing, let's say a surgical or N95 mask, it does provide filtration because when you're thinking about, at least for the paper masks that are made, 
it's not really formed like a, a sieve or a net or a, a, a mosquito net. The fibers are interlinked. And so when you're breathing in these little bitty microscopic, really you have to see with electron microscope, are bouncing around on these crosslink fibers and they get trapped. So thinking about it like a cyst or a mosquito net is really not the right, um, I guess, way to think about how these particles are trapped within um, face masks. Okay, and then the other analogy, if you're both wearing pants and one person pees, um, any truth to it? <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I think you're saying is if both people are wearing a mask, is the analogy to both people wearing pants, am I correct? Uh, the analogy is, and uh, you know, because it's actually like in comic strip form when I've, when I've seen it but they, they show two guys pantsless and then one pees. And so then the other guy gets peed on, he gets wet. Then in the next picture, there is one guy is pantsless and then the other guy's wearing pants. The pantsless guy pees and he pees onto the guy wearing pants. And so the, the guy gets wet. Yeah, so that's wet. illustrating, yeah, we're, yes. we're a mask, so you keep your germs to yourself. <laughs> yes. Basically. And then in the third, they're both wearing pants. The guy that pees, is just the other guy doesn't get wet at all. Is there any truth to that analogy? I would say that's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, okay. I think so, too. That was an awesome conversation, and we spent, like, I mean, I didn't really want to spend the first podcast with a lot of time because uh, hopefully uh, eventually COVID will become uh, a dated topic. But I just thought that, you know, with an opportunity to have you on the show, uh, it, it, we would be remiss if we didn't have that discussion. But uh, as I started to say uh, at the beginning of the show, fitness and beer is a lot about being a regular person and trying to get through life and figure out how to be more healthy and still try to figure out how to have as much fun as you possibly can with these things called vices. And so um, one of the things that we wanna concern ourselves, because I think the first part of being fit is being healthy. Uh, and you know, I'm not gonna get into the whole thing about chronic disease too much, but what is the number one first thing you think that us as Americans, and for that much, specifically us, I'm not gonna go, could do to be healthier people? Well, the number one thing I would say is to keep moving, be active, you know, take walks, do something to get your heart rate up for at least 30 minutes a couple times a week, you know, dancing, anything, because, you know, movement is life, you know. Um, that's going to keep your heart healthy. That's going to keep you energized. Um, and it's also going to help you mentally as well when you're up moving around. Uh, I would say coupled with that is minimizing your sugar intake. Um, I think that's the one thing in our diet that is the most disregarded and it's leading to a lot of problems. Um, specifically diabetes um, in the U.S. is a problem, especially among people of color. Um, I believe it is the seventh 
leading cause of death. Uh, last statistics I read, there were like 35 million Americans with diabetes. And as much as one in five people that aren't even aware that they have diabetes. Um, so cutting out sugary drinks. I personally try to drink water. And the only time I'll have a fruit juice or a soda is maybe once a week as, as a treat. Um, but that's one easy thing that you can do without even necessarily changing your diet is just cut out sugary drinks to try to minimize the amount of sugar that you're taking in on a daily basis. I, you know, and, and now I'm going to like throw some of my opinions at you just because like, I, I think we're in agreement on this. And because I believe that the, the number one thing that most of, and it, and it happens really easy is, you know, if you have children, if you have a job, whether or not you work from home or if, if you commute to work, it's like your day ends up becoming so compacted, finding the time to take a walk or hit the gym becomes like, it becomes less of a priority. Um, but I, I think the biggest problem, I think we eat like shit and we don't move enough. Like, and as much as, and I'm guilty because I'm a person that, you know, Netflix and chill, I'm all about it. I guess Netflix and chill might mean some other stuff, but you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm down with watching uh, Netflix. I mean, you might know because I watch on your account, but you don't have to, I guess I just, <laughs> I, I just told people that. But um, I, I think the, our concept of the American diet is what largely, and not just, I mean, sugar, I, I absolutely 100% agree, is the number one culprit. But I also think it's our whole concept of eating. Um, I mean, you've heard it time and time again, like when you go to the grocery store, stay on the perimeter. And for so many of us, that is unnatural to like not have that starch, to not have that grain with our meals. Um, but I, I suspect that maybe even biologically, um, genetically, or a combination of how humans were built, that once we started to industrialize food, mass produce it, and, you know, so everything becomes corn, everything becomes starch, uh, you have to have rice. I mean, when I was in college, I thought pastaroni was a meal, but that's exactly what I'm talking about, the miseducation. And, um, and, and now, it's like this concept of, of guess what, dude, like, Lean meats and vegetables, that's all you really need on your plate. Um, yeah, what do you have to say about that? How should we really eat? Well, this is definitely something that most people cannot agree on. There are so many different um, diets or fads or schools of thought in terms of what it is that we should be eating. Um, personally, I feel that <clears throat> whole foods are your friend. So staying away from as much processed foods as possible is going to be what's best for you. I don't necessarily believe that you shouldn't eat potatoes or you shouldn't eat um, rice, but it's avoiding a lot of the white foods. So brown rice, um, sweet potatoes, occasional white potato, I think is fine, but it's the processed foods that I feel like are the biggest thing that we need to avoid. Okay. And then uh, the movement portion of it, as, as far as uh, getting up off your butt and being like, 
how active do you need to be? Is it, you know, three moderate workouts, 10 minutes of uh, jumping jacks and pushups? Like, if you want to be a, a healthier person, and I'm not talking about, you know, becoming an Instagram fitness model, I'm talking about for your average person, like, what type of level, what level of activity would you suggest? So I feel like everybody needs to get at minimum 30 minutes of exercise at least three times a week. Now that 30 minutes of exercise does not necessarily have to be all at once. Let's say you did 10 or 15 minutes in the morning or 10 or 15 minutes in the evening, but you need to be getting your heart rate up. So however you can do that, um, walking around the block again, um, dancing, having sex, jumping jacks, you know, whatever you find enjoyment in, you need to do that to make sure that you're staying active. Um, even just standing, you know, standing up um, rather than always sitting and lounging down. Uh, movement is better than standing, but at, we'll take anything in the busy uh, lives that we all live. So uh, that kind of brings me to my, um, my next question. And that's that this is something that I find interesting is that even when I broke it out, I talked about, I believe that fitness has three components and that was being physically fit, mentally fit, and actually financial fitness, because it's, I don't know. I, I think money's a thing. It's, it's just a thing in a category by itself. And I, I think that you uh, need to learn to attain fitness there as well. And it impacts, like they're all symbiotic. But specifically when it comes to mental and, and mental health, but like your brain is literally part of your body. And, you know, that's not using the word literally, um, figuratively, like we usually do. Um, it is a, a, a physical, it's an organ. And so I find it really strange that we don't believe that, or we don't necessarily connect the two, that the foods that we consume when we were talking about that and our nutrition, um, if it affects our body, if it, you know, if it affects our gut health, which in turn affects our cardiac health, which, you know, can, you know, affect our kidneys and our liver, and it goes on and on and on. Why isn't there more conversation about how, um what we consume and how like our physical fitness uh, would impact our mental health and it, it's true and vice versa but I, you know why is that that's an excellent question uh, i think it just requires a cultural shift and education because people do frequently not connect the brain with the rest of the body you think about psychological like stress and depression um as due to environmental stressors um which absolutely that's a component but also you know getting your vitamin d and there's a nutritional component as well and i think it just is going to take uh the right person to bring it to light to make people realize that there is another component to um making sure that we have mental health from a nutritional standpoint as well 
Right. I, I mean, in a way, it makes sense to me and me not being any just the person that sits around and, and reads a bunch of a, a bunch about fitness and nutrition. But it makes sense to me that it's also cyclical, like when you're not necessarily at your healthiest in, in mind, you do things to supplement for that. So and, and some of those could be in the form of cravings in the food that you eat. Lord knows I'm addicted, addicted to chips. I love chips like Cheetos, potato chips, man, I can knock out some Lay's. And if French fries were a healthy food, I, man, I would be good to go. And so um, it's, it's ironic to me. And so these foods are all, also addictive and then they work at a detriment to our bodies. And then in turn, our bodies react in ways that like it impacts pretty much every organ. Fat itself is an organ and it goes into an unhealthy state. Um, and we just don't think about the fact that like, hey man, that affects your mind too. And thus continues the vicious cycle. So like your mind's not healthy. So then you turn to unhealthy food, which in turn keeps you with the unhealthy mind. What, what do you think about that? Uh, I think that you're definitely onto something. And uh, I think that everyone has felt that a lot in their life um, in terms of even people that have ascribed to certain diets, they change their eating habits for a while, they feel better both mentally and physically. Um, then for whatever reason, they fall off the wagon. Um, maybe there's some stressors in their life. They try to pacify themselves with junk foods because you associate that with joy and it's a way to pacify yourself and then as you do that you start to feel bad physically and it definitely can be um, a vicious cycle break wow so thank you i'm going to shift gears on you one more time and it's like we still have a little time left in the podcast and there's so many interesting we might have to do this again because i got other topics that i want to get into but like um so with what's going on in the world right now you know and i i won't you know from uh, ahmaud arbery to uh george floyd and um you know there's a lot of uh, opinions going around but for you as a black woman that I would deem as um, successful. I mean, you're a doctor. You're a doctor. You made it. Um, and you're also a mother. And you're a mother of three black men, three fantastic young men, um, and a professional. What do you think our role is in it to change, if we even have a role? And how do we make this thing right? So that's an excellent question. Um, sorry, Dave's going past the window with a lawnmower. So as a mother so, and as a professional, like what's what's going on in the world? How we make it right? You got you got three black boys. So I think it starts with working to change the way people think about black people and making people accountable for their actions. Um, I personally feel that it's so offensive to people to be called a racist, even though their actions, their ideology, and everything that they believe is in line with racism. Um, 
how do we do that is to continue to show positive images of black people um, and to um, and also as far as the George Floyd, George Floyd thing goes, people always try to point to, you know, well, black people don't care about black people's lives. You know, they're killing each other. And that is an issue um, that we march for that issue as well. But I, I feel like the difference between crime that goes on the community is committed by criminals and they get their day in court and usually they go to jail. Um, when you're talking about law enforcement, you know, if they're doing something by racially profiling you, using excessive force, there's no repercussions. There's no repercussions for that bad behavior. But and how do we, problem. but okay. And this is the last question I'm going to ask you in this chain of thought, but like all of it really, I think there's just some really deep seated, rooted biases, preconceived notions. Like, so it's, it, you know what I mean? And so like, I, to pretend that those biases don't come, I mean, where the biases come from, I don't, but the problem is it completely eliminates room for the individual. You know what I mean? And so it, it makes the doctor or the lawyer or your children or and of all in the same boat with the unfortunate children that are also up to no good. It's like, how do we alleviate that situation? The bias, how? Because essentially, that's really all it is, right? Well, yeah. it's very difficult to eliminate bias. You know, some people are going to continue to have a bias no matter what images are shown. They, it is deep-rooted. I mean, think about the mask. Like, you can present facts, and people are just going to continue to counter that no matter how much evidence you provide them, they're going to believe what they want to believe. So for that percentage of people, there's nothing that you can do to combat that than to create laws and protections against it. For the other set of people that, are, that have biases but are open to be educated for their minds to be changed, um, I think it comes down to the images that you're seeing of people day to day. Uh, one thing that I would say for social media is, you know, I have a friend that I've known, oh gosh, probably since seventh or eighth grade. Uh, we became really close when I was in college. Um, and with all of the George Floyd stuff, I was posting a lot of uh, stuff on my Facebook page about inequality and police brutality. And she came onto my page and she was like, I support you. But she said that she was too afraid to talk about this on her own personal page because of the people that she works with. And I feel like the only way that you are going to empathize and recognize black people are just human is to have more interaction with black people. When you think about how segregated America still is, a lot of white people really don't have any relationship with a black person. All they see is the images that they have on TV. So people that are of white or Hispanic descent that I've grown up with, they realize that black people are people. So there's some that you don't like, some that you don't get along with, others that are great. We are all a 
spectrum. Every white person isn't good. Every white person isn't bad. And that's the same thing for black people. We're not all criminals. We are educated. We are a myriad just like any other race. And getting to know each other better will also help to dispel some of the biases um, that people have. Well said. Well said. Um, I, I, I think that definitely uh, your family uh, represents something that we can all be proud of. And at the same time, um, you know, just, I guess, because I'm related to y'all, so it makes me biased. But y'all just, you know, regular people, very down to earth. And I do want to talk about before we let you go. So you have a YouTube channel. And I, I think it's pretty cool because I, I've seen some things on there that have definitely opened my eyes. Um, some, some pretty cool locations and pretty cool destination. Um, so first of all, what is your YouTube channel called? Okay, so I actually have two YouTube channels. Um, the main one um, that I have is uh, co-created uh, with my husband. Uh, we named it Where You At um, because it was kind of inspired by our love for traveling. Um, and we are avid, avid researchers about where's the best place to go, who has the best beaches, you know, what things do you want to do because um, we want to ensure that we have a good time. Um, and so after doing research and reading reviews and watching videos we were inspired to basically share our story so uh that was the nice for kind of creating the where you at channel so we have a lot of stuff on there about vacationing room tours uh, reviews in addition to kind of sharing um some of our personal experience in terms of like more of a vlog style uh, in the future, we kind of help to expand the channel more uh, past traveling and touch on other topics such as our professions. My husband is a dentist. Um, I'm a physician um, and also talk about uh, relationships and just some more fun pop culture things. Very cool. And the second YouTube channel? The second YouTube channel that I have um, is called Incredible Dr. Matisse and that one focuses more on uh, women, women empowerment, my personal experience um, as a physician. It has some resources on there for uh, meditation and just kind of getting in the right mindset. Um, it also has uh, some information about the coronavirus. I uploaded a couple um, um, day in the life of anesthesia and also um, some demonstrations on how post oximeter works. So, and, and tell me this, are there any other social media or if after hearing this, anybody wants to reach out to you and ask you a question? Because I know that like, um, when you made the video about wearing the mask, you were super interactive, you were informative, you were uh, happy to answer questions. Uh, where can they reach you at? Uh, you can reach me either on my uh, Instagram, um, Incredible Dr. Nikish. Also, I have a Facebook page that goes under the same handle. Um, and I can also be reached at uh, um, Incredible Dr. Nikish. Incredible Doctor spell out or DR? DR. And then Nikish, N A K I S H. Correct. 
At Instagram? Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the um, what it, I'll send you the link so you know what it looks like. Nice. Okay, and I'm stealing this because there's a podcast that I'm a pretty big fan of, um, which is Impact Theory with Tom Billy. He's got millions of followers. But I mean, it's just a good question and it applies here. Um, like you, you've made yourself available on, on social media and um, have started these YouTube channels. And so it, it's clearly you have something that you want to share. And so um, if there was one thing that you could, um, yeah, if there's one thing, what is it that you want to accomplish? What is it that you hope to share with the world? What is it that I hope to share with the world? Hmm. I guess I just hope to share another side of a professional woman. I want to share some failures, share some successes, give advice, um, just give people a little glimpse into uh, what my life is like uh, behind the scenes, I guess. Um, yeah. And I can say, definitely go check out the videos because on the videos, they have some very cool destinations. Uh, if nothing else to, to go to, I mean, they have awesome personalities. Her husband, uh, Dr. Lanil Powell happens to be my brother. Uh, he's a very cool guy, so check them out. Uh, it's called Where You At? It's, it, it's Where are You At? Y-O-U at? You. But tell the people. Yeah. yeah. Where W H R E Y O U A C. I had to get down like that. Hey, so thank you so much for being on this podcast, the Initial Fitness and Beer Podcast. It, it's been awesome. You are awesome. And thank you. Until next time. All right, thanks and beer. for having me. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs>